How important is the Lord's Supper in our church life? How important is the Lord's Supper in your life? It's kind of a related question to what our shepherd Galen Sigler was asking during our shepherd's prayer time. How important is Bible study in our church life, in your life? Important enough to come at 9 a.m. with your brothers and sisters and study God's Word together? That should be pretty important. How important is the Lord's Supper in our church life and in your own personal life? What significance, what importance do you give that? And we know that in churches of Christ, we have given that a lot of importance. At least we've given lip service to its importance. You know, other religions as well, other Christian faiths have also spoken highly and of the importance of the Lord's Supper. Uh, William Barclay says, without question and without debate, the Lord's Supper is the central action in Christian worship. Another writer not associated with Churches of Christ says, the Lord's Supper is the central act of worship of the Christian church. Another says, when we consider the communion, we are at the very heart of the gospel and of the life which it creates in the church. And then when we mention our own Churches of Christ movement, from within our fellowship, writers, of course, and scholars and preachers, uh, leaders, speak of how important it is. Dr. Everett Ferguson, longtime faculty member at Abilene Christian, wrote, the Lord's Supper above all other acts of worship is expressive of what the church is. The late Raymond Kelsey, who I studied under at Oklahoma Christian College, says there are many devoutly religious people who do not attach much importance to the Lord's Supper and to whom it is not very meaningful. It does not occupy a very important place in their thinking. To them, it is a practice in which a Christian may or may not participate. Now, does that describe you? Is this something that's okay to participate in when it's convenient, when you can? And is it not something that is of great significance? Something that you can easily go ahead and say, you know, that's that's not going to happen today, but that's okay. We say it's important, is it? When we get to the historical study next week, which we will in this series on the Lord's Supper that starts today, we will be convicted in our lack of devotion and commitment by those through the centuries who actually risked their lives or even gave their lives just so that they could do what we did just a few moments ago. Take of that bread to remember the Lord's body and drink of that juice to remember His blood. So again, how important is the Lord's Supper in our church life, in your life? And now a second question. Have you ever had an in-depth study on the Lord's Supper? (laughs) I would be interested to hear from a few of you that perhaps have or perhaps never have, just to get a feel for that. I would imagine that for many of us, we have had that because, again, in Churches of Christ, uh, in the Restoration Movement, 
This is one of the things that we have emphasized so much so that it's one of the things that has been a difference between ourselves and many other Christian faiths. And so that being said, how often have you really studied in depth this thing, this activity, this action that we claim is so very important? Oh, you probably know a few of the applicable scriptures, especially Matthew 26, which I'll read from in just a moment. That talks about that last supper we spoke about with the kids, the passages in Mark. Chapters 14 and 15, Davey reminded us of chapter 15. Perhaps 1 Corinthians 11, where Paul talks about that as well. Maybe Acts 20 verse 7. But I wonder how many of us would even know that last verse. Or why we partake of the Lord's Supper every Sunday. What do you know about the history of the Lord's Supper? You may be surprised to hear that for most all of the church's 20 centuries of existence since Jesus established the church, the Lord's Supper was the central part of the worship assembly. And do you know all the terms that the New Testament uses in describing the Lord's Supper? You might be surprised to hear one of them is a very biblical term. And if asked, what would you say is the meaning of the Lord's Supper today? Again, today begins a month-long series of sermons on the Lord's Supper. These next four sermons will be speaking about that. When I was at Abilene Christian in the doctor ministry program and deciding what to do my project thesis on, I decided on something related to the Lord's Supper and ended up with the theme of developing a theology of the Lord's Supper. So if you ever can't sleep at night, I have 162 pages of just riveting stuff. But I'm going to baptize that and translate it into a few lessons over these next few weeks. Next week, we will talk a lot about the history. Not just the history of the last 200 years or three or 400 years or so. But the history beginning with the New Testament up until today. On Easter Sunday, we'll talk about how the the Lord's Supper is very forward-looking. Looking ahead to the time when Jesus will return, acknowledging the tomb is empty, and looking forward to that time when our tombs as well will be empty. And we'll end the series at the end of the month with a, a sermon that helps us to answer the question, what does this all mean to us today? But we begin by taking a look at the biblical basis of the Lord's Supper. Today's emphasis is on the scripture and the biblical foundation of the communion. And so, first of all, the Lord's Supper at its simplest is a meal. It is a meal. A while back, uh, Spencer Shaw did our communion meditation and brought some of these same things out in his wonderful thoughts then. And, and so we think about meals. How important are they? Well, they're, they're, they're super important. If you're looking at a couple of kids and they're sharing a baby Ruth bar, when God created candy bars, it was a baby Ruth bar. And then the fall of man came and there were all the others that came in. Well, when they share a candy bar, that's something pretty significant. You ask them what their favorite subject is and they just very well might say what? Lunch, <laughs> of course. 
They just might say lunch. When a young girl decides that she wants to invite him over for dinner sometime, that's a, that's a significant thing. Even on the political level, state banquets are held that are very significant, very important. Meals are important, and they were important in the Bible times too. In the Old Testament, in the days of Abraham, when he had those visitors, remember what they did? They made a meal for them and ate together. In Exodus 24, we're reminded that, that in the days of Moses, they ate and drank together, not just the leaders of Moses' day, but they did that with God. The Jews, of course, held many feasts and festivals, especially the Passover is significant for us in this study. And of course, so many remember and appreciate so much the 23rd Psalm, which has this line, Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. I love this story that helps bring that to life. One author writes of a story about a nomad being pursued across the desert by his enemies. The desperate man comes upon an encampment. He rushes up to the tents hoping that these strangers will receive him. He runs up to the head tent and throws back the curtains. The inhabitants have just begun to eat. Breathlessly, he looks into their faces. Will they receive him or will they turn him away? They motion for him to enter and be seated. He breathes a sigh of relief. His pursuers finally reach the camp. They go to the tent he has entered. They also throw back the curtains, ready to seize the man and kill him. But when they see him seated at the table, they draw back and leave him in peace. For they know that in the Near East, it is a great act of hostility toward the host to trouble a person who is seated at someone's table. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Of course, and when you look at the life of Jesus, you don't get very far before you see the significance of meals. His very first miracle was at a wedding reception. We continue to read about that through his calling of Matthew, through his interaction with Nicodemus, two tax collectors, going home with them and having dinner with them and being criticized because he himself acknowledged he came eating and drinking and they called him a glutton and a drunkard. He had dinner at the home of Simon the Pharisee. He feeded multitudes on at least two occasions. And then, of course, he had that very special time that we call the Last Supper with his apostles just the night before his death. After his resurrection, meals were still significant. As he was walking and talking with the two on the road to Emmaus, when he got there, they ate together. And Jesus, the guest, played host. And it was then that they recognized who he was. On another occasion, Jesus joins the disciples and some of them just don't believe that it is Jesus. And so he asks this question, have you got anything to eat? And so he took something to eat and he ate it in front of them. And I can just picture the scene where the disciples start looking at each other and saying, yep, it's him. Sure enough. Now, I know we preachers have taken a lot of heat because we um, appreciate the meal aspect of fellowshipping together. We have been known to eat a few meals together. I'm not sure if it's that way in the United Kingdom. It is, brother. We have a preacher with us from the United Kingdom traveling through. It, it translates very well, doesn't it? 
We don't like to turn down a good meal, but I'm here to say we've got good biblical authority for that in the life of Christ, especially in the book of Luke. All of the times that we meet together for dinners, for luncheons, whether at someone's house or at a restaurant or in our family life center. And for Jesus, it was the same way. Meals were momentous events for him. One even described him as one who shares feasts with sinners. And the scriptures tell us, talk to us about breaking bread together. And that can mean what we just did with the Lord's Supper. It can also mean sharing a meal together. And that's where these passages come in that's on your outline, starting in Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, beginning at verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Verse 46, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. And ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Acts 20 and 1 Corinthians 11 also acknowledge this time of of, uh, meal and eating together and partaking of the Lord's Supper in the context of that meal during New Testament times. We see it in that significance in Acts 2. In Acts 20, it starts with that great verse 7. On the first day of the week, we were gathered together to break bread. And Paul preached to them. And then later on, they went and they shared a meal together. In Jude chapter 12 and 2 Peter 2.13 is that term called the love feast, the agape feast. That describes that meal that the church of the New Testament times shared together. And in the midst of that meal, some time in there, they also partook of the Lord's Supper. As you know, in 1 Corinthians 11, it caused quite a problem. And Paul even told them, look, if it's going to be divisive, then separate them. We'll talk next week about how that developed over the first few centuries. So that by the time of about the middle of the third century, the agape feast had pretty much been separated everywhere from the communion service. And so we recognize in the New Testament times, in Old Testament, in the life of Jesus, even today, meals carry a great significance. None more important than the one we shared just a few moments ago. Secondly, the Lord's Supper contains elements of the Jewish Passover. This is that great passage in Matthew 26 and the others that describe that time that Jesus met with his apostles the night before he was killed and observed a Passover feast. In Matthew 26, beginning at verse 26, while they were eating, Jesus took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples saying, take and eat. This is my body. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. We see the other gospel writers writing about this event in Mark 14 and Luke 22. And we remember that these words have a significant connection to the Old Testament Jewish Passover. What we celebrate today is not a Passover feast. 
but it is the Lord's Supper. And as Jesus instituted it, he'd instituted it in the context of that Passover celebration. And so it, we learn a lot from it. But we have to be careful because I don't know if you've ever experienced this or not, but if you are in church one day and the one who is leading the communion thoughts is reading from Luke 22 and they're not careful, they're going to be a little bit confused. Do you know why? Because in Luke 22, it starts out with the cup. And then Jesus takes the bread and then he takes another cup. And so if you haven't done your homework and you start reading at the wrong place, you're going to be a little bit confused there. And the truth is that the Passover history helps us to explain that because by the time of of the first century, they would have four, sometimes five special cups during the Passover celebration. We'll talk a little bit more about that next week in the historical study. And so like the Jews did during the Passover feast, Christians during the Lord's Supper do a few things. First of all, they look up. We look up to God as we consider our salvation history, just as the Jews did. Secondly, we look back. They looked back to deliverance on that night when they were freed from Egyptian bondage. We look back to what Jesus did for us on the cross. As Davy led us in, Reminding us from Mark 15. As we've sung today, our wonderful, merciful Savior. This is that dynamic term that means more than just remembering and calling to mind. It's a dynamic re-experiencing. It's like we are there when we partake of the Lord's Supper. Third, we look around. We look around to one another in our relationship as the family of God. God in his wisdom did not tell us to partake of this by ourselves. We partake of it together. And granted, the pandemic has caused that to be more difficult. But still, we find that connection. And we look around to be considerate of each other. In fact, that's what the Corinthians weren't doing in 1 Corinthians 11. Oh, they were remembering Jesus, okay. But they weren't remembering each other. Finally, we look ahead to the return of our Lord and eternity with him. 1 Corinthians 11 verse 26 says, Whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death. What's the rest of it? Until he comes. The Lord's Supper is not just about remembering what happened at Calvary, although that is, of course, significant. But it's also about us living and dying for each other. And it's also about us looking ahead until he comes, proclaiming his death, burial, and resurrection. And so I think the Lord's Supper calls us, like the Passover did, to be considerate of of the seriousness of this occasion. But it doesn't have to be somber mourning. We might say, yeah, but Bill, we, we commemorate the time that Jesus died on the cross. That's right. But we also remember the time that he was raised from the dead in this event. But Bill, there were probably some people that were there who were alive who saw that happen and who communicated that to others. And I say, I'm sure that's right. But there were also some who actually saw him alive before he ascended. How can you control their joy in remembering that? And so one man has coined a term, contemplative joy. And I really like that term. We partake of the Lord's Supper with joy, but it is contemplative joy we remember the great price that was paid for our salvation but we celebrate the fact that it was paid and that the one who paid it 
lives even still. This is what we are called to remember as we partake. Finally today, the Lord's Supper calls us to faithfully obey God and serve our neighbor. Those passages in 1 Corinthians 5 and in 1 Corinthians 10 remind us of that and focus it on living out this call of our Lord's Supper and communing together. In 1 Corinthians 5, beginning at verse 6, your boasting is not good. Don't you know that a little yeast leavens the whole batch of dough? Get rid of the old yeast so that you may be a new unleavened batch as you really are. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us keep the festival, not with the old bread, leavened with malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Later, Paul recounts something similar in 1 Corinthians 10. And just as Jesus did, he uses leaven and unleavened in the sense of it being neutral. Jesus talked about the dangerous leaven of the Pharisees and the scribes and their teaching, but he also talked about leaven being a sign of the kingdom. How just as a woman works leaven through the dough, the kingdom of God spreads in the same way. Paul reminds us that our lives are meant to be faithfully obedient to God and that we are called upon to serve one another. And he reminds the Corinthians of that ethical horizontal aspect. And it is that horizontal aspect, that one another aspect of the Lord's Supper that the Corinthians were failing on, as chapter 11 clearly indicates. The Lord's Supper calls us to respect one another, to treat each other with love and consideration, to sacrifice for one another just as Jesus sacrificed for us. And that's why we take of this meal together. Come take the bread. Come share the wine. Come share the Lord. It is the church's family meal. So as we close today... We have been right in stressing the critical importance of the Lord's Supper. It's not something to be arrogant about. It's not something to be prideful about. It's something to be grateful for and to be reminded of. We have been right about that. The biblical record is clear. The historical record is clear. Up until the time of the Protestant Reformation in the 1500s, The Lord's Supper was the centerpiece of the worship assembly. How important is that moment when the church gathers around the table of the Lord to remember, to re-experience, to proclaim the Lord's death, burial, and resurrection in a way like no other. We do this. The Lord's Supper is something that we do. And we do it to remember To remember that on the night he was betrayed, Jesus instituted this supper, calling us to remember his sacrifice for us and calling us to be obedient to his command, to love each other in the exact same way. He paid a debt he did not owe. I owed a debt I could not pay. And he paid it. I'm excited about our studies together this month. This morning, if you need to come to that one who died for you, who paid that debt, come as we stand and sing that great song together.